You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. It's Tuesday the 29th of November. A gloomy, foggy, murky morning here in TW11, but still dry as we approach the weekend. Later in the show, I'll be talking to jockey Harry Cobden, riding high at present this season, all set for his best campaign ever, and whole host of good horses to ride, including Grenatine, who must be a horse with a massive chance in the Tingle Creek chase on Saturday, particularly as he's the only one of the big three or four guaranteed, you'd say, to turn up on ground that's posing. Clark of the course, Andrew Cooper, a few problems. Cobden first, Cooper second, a little bit later in the show. I'll also be talking about how much money might change hands in Newmarket this evening. Some beautifully bred mares going under the hammer, none more so than alcohol-free. The group one winner at 2-3-4. Tattersall's Jimmy George will be along a little bit later. And I'll be talking to Ammo Racing's Tom Pennington as part of our Weatherby's weekly slot about the two-year-old Persian force being retired to Tallyho Stud and what commercial impact he might have on the sector. But first of all, we still await the white paper. We're in our third Prime Minister of the Year, our third Government of the Year, and whilst there was a feeling that the winds might have been changing in the 44-day Liz Trust Premiership, Stories that have come out this week, particularly published in the Times newspaper, suggest that the current government have got more thinking to do and the white paper may not appear before Christmas. But who is winning hearts and minds? Is it the gambling lobby or is it the anti-gambling lobby? Lydia Hislop, broadcaster and journalist, is with me today. Lydia, what do you think of what's coming out in some of the broadsheets this week and how informative is it likely to be, do you think? Well, I think the... The, the Times seem to be very, very close to this story in terms of the Department of Culture, Media and Sport. Um, and at the moment, the the anti-gambling lobby, certainly in terms of how it is translating to the uh, public arena via the newspapers, seem to be in the ascendancy at the moment, which will be causing um, a, a lot of concerns. There's a lot of interesting detail in the, the Saturday piece in, in the Times. I, I noticed that um, the plans have been drop to ban gambling companies from sponsoring football shirts for Premier League clubs, which suggests that uh, government no longer want to pick that particular fight with the with the Premier League. There's been a lot of mention of words like non-intrusive and frictionless to talk about um, the affordability checks that are going to come through. A bit like when we were talking about um, borders during the uh, Brexit debate. And of course, you know, that's that that is ongoing in terms of how that practically works. The devil here is in the detail, not just in terms of the limit that will be imposed via affordability checks, but also the mechanism um, that keeps being mentioned, as I said, uh, frictionless, non-intrusive, uh, but there's a very, very, very little detail. And you have to think that if something was truly frictionless, it would probably already be happening now. Interestingly, you will expect the the gambling lobby to to issue some sort of rejoinder to this and and there's an Ernst Young report which is expected next week on the contribution of the gambling industry to the exchequer which you can imagine is going to to tell the the chancellor and the prime minister that that gambling revenues are down and they'll be arguing that gambling revenues are down because of the 
um, self-imposed affordability checks that the that the bookmakers are are pushing through at the moment in advance and in anticipation of the white paper. Look here, you are Chancellor. Your revenues are falling because bookmakers are, are in the dark and they're putting checks forward that that you're you're suggesting should go even further. How mm. persuasive is that likely to be? Do you think? They're trying to reach out to uh, Rishi Sunak as a former chancellor, aren't they? And also Rishi Sunak, who has talked about the potential impact of these um, uh, restrictions of of this bill on the horse racing industry and how it will it will be going forward. I mean, the in terms of what the white paper was proposing, it had already been watered down to quite a large degree under Liz Trust. The presence of uh, Rishi Sunak being there, I think, from a, a horse racing point of view or from the gambling point of view, would necessary equal further further watering um and at the moment as i said i think that the anti-gambling um, lobby are, seem to be in the ascendancy certainly uh, a, a report that talks about um input into the um exchequer is going to uh, appeal is directly appealing to, to somebody like like Rishi Sunak, and also with all the concerns about the finances for government, you know that is a, a key frontline concern. But very much amongst the what has been hitting the newspaper recently has been cloaked around the NHS. I mean, you know, the NHS clearly um, is seeking to to, to be better funded, uh, and one of the things being put forward is about is about the impact of gambling on it of course they've increased the provision to help people who are addicted to gambling and that will naturally result uh, and it happily result in more people taking up those services so you know that 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 shouldn't really be a surprise um but certainly the, the, there are there are different lobbies pulling um the this issue in different directions um i i still think it's it it's quite likely that this won't um happen the the publication of the paper until early in in the new year and i suppose we should look at ireland as well shouldn't we and compare um what's happening over there to what might potentially happen over here the bill um addressing gambling in ireland hasn't yet been published but the the press have been briefed they've been briefed by as high as the t-shock i mean it hasn't just been handed out to a to a junior minister to be able to talk about that because uh, there is a large concern about public health over in Ireland about uh, ministers being perceived to being too close to 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 gambling um, they haven't had a regulator as we have in terms of the the gambling commission so let's hope that they learn learn from what from what we did when when Britain created a gambling commission and make a, a good um, regulator a, over there but there's no detail either in terms of uh, what the pre-watershed full tv advert ban is going to mean um although horse racing is going to be exempt from any sort of sponsorship um ban um that full advert ban including in social media the devil again there is going to be in the detail and it's quite some devil as well and i'd imagine if you're a television company trying to get pictures into ireland with some kind of gambling advertising content in it you you'd be left scratching your head much more to follow on that though at this stage don't expect that white paper before december the 21st Right, as I said at the beginning of the show, it's dry. It's going to pose problems for clerks of the course again this weekend. Talk to Andrew Cooper, clerk at Sandown, in a few moments' time about the challenges ahead of the Tingle Creek chase. But first of all, one horse who is almost certain to line up, come what may, is Grenatine, who's been so good around Sandown. Three grade one victories to his name there already. He'll be ridden by Paul Nichols' stable jockey, Harry Cobden, who is riding high 
at present having the season of his life. And I began by asking him whether he felt this horse was getting better and improving still. Well, I thought he was very impressed for Exeter last time. Um, Travelled really well, jumped great. And, and to be fair to him, I thought of a mark of 168, it was a pretty phenomenal performance on his... Um, seasonal return so I mean he, he's, he's a lot calmer than he was and he's more settled at home and yeah we were we were, we were delighted with um, with how he went about it so he actually is from a jockey's perspective he's giving you a better sort of stronger feel now than he than he did before absolutely I mean I think I'm, I'm, I'm fairly certain he's definitely improved from 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 what he has done um, obviously the race on Saturday if Shiskin turns up he's going to have to be on his best form to, to beat him but I, I, I certainly wouldn't be um, I wouldn't be shying away from 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 it anyway is he is he a straightforward ride relatively speaking yeah, I mean, in his younger days, he used to be quite keen and probably do a little t- bit too much. But now he's just relaxed and he's a lot uh, he's a lot easier to ride from a jockey's perspective. And he's one of these horses, isn't he? I mean, it, it's easy to forget that it's it's twenty months since he actually got reasonably close to winning a a champion chase, and no one ever really talks about him in those terms anymore. Do you think we just need to pay him a little bit more attention, a little bit more respect as a horse who could win a top-level prize anywhere and not just at Sandown, for example? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the day he actually finished fourth in the champion chase, he's probably, he probably wasn't beaten three lengths in the race. And, um, he, you know, I probably dropped him in a little bit and, and, and rode him to run well, and he certainly did that. And I... Um, I was really, really impressed with him. Probably after the race, a little bit frustrated that I dropped him in as far as I did. But he, uh, he's certainly improving a hell of a lot, and, and he's definitely improved since then. So um, he's um, he's certainly a horse that's um, he'd be one of he'd be definitely one of our most exciting horses that we have anyway. Well, on that theme, I don't know if you saw, but I I I, I chickened out of a bet with Megan Nichols on telly the other day about about who who would beat whom in a match between Brave Man's Game and Hitman. If they both turn up in the King George, is it is it a foregone conclusion that you ride you, you would ride Brave Man's Game? Um obviously he's the the, the favourite going into the race, but um you know he's he's been pretty fantastic this year. We know he acts well around Kempton. Um obviously he won the Corte Star there last year. So um at the moment, he probably looks like the horse to uh, the horse riding the race. But you know, you wouldn't underestimate that hitman. He was very, very good at Haydock last well a fortnight ago, and um, he's uh, he's only a six-year-old. He's improving a hell of a lot, and um, I think he'll be one of those horses that will be competing in those championship races in the future. I am talking to the man who famously uh, declined to ride the favourite in the King George, got on a 10-to-1 shot and won, which is about the b- bravest call of all time when you rode Clando Zobo in, in uh, preference to Politologue. Yeah, but um, <laughs> to be honest, uh, Nick, I think I've got off more grade one winners than I've probably ridden. So, um, you know, it's um, it's one of those things. And just, I suppose it's just I'm fairly fortunate to be in the, in the position to, to choose... Um, between the, these these good horses, and um, we're fairly lucky, you know. Uh, yeah, and things are going incredibly well this season. I, I, there's been a lot of comment, positive comment. John Frankham heaped a load of praise on you in the paper last week about about how well you're riding this year. Do you feel like you're riding better, or is it just a function of circumstance? Yeah, well, you know, I'm only 24 years. Well, I've just turned 24, so um, you know, hopefully, I'm still improving, and I've. Um, 
obviously being very fortunate to be uh, associated with the Nichols stable and um, you know I've been supported right the way along right along the way with um, lots of other good trainers as well and um, you know I, you know it's, it's, I think I'm almost obviously riding well at the moment but you know you just need to sort of keep it up and continue and and and, and keep the winners coming all right that's Harry Cobden this is Andrew Cooper Clark of the course at down with his bulletin on how the ground might ride come the beginning of the weekend's fixture on Friday. Yeah, well, I think I think the hurdle course is fairly straightforward, um, which is obviously the watered flat track. I mean, that is predominantly soft at the moment. You'd find little bits of ground either side of that, uh, but that will stay. Basically, I'm sure the first word in Friday's description will be soft over hurdles. I mean, the more, in a sense, I suppose, the more... Uh, <laughs> interesting one is is the steeplechase course here uh only bits of that see sort of summer watering you know on some of the crossover points uh always as a result uh you know quicker uh generally than the hurdle track here at, at the moment i would say we are very much a split of good to soft and quite a decent good ground um i i, I sort of it's a sort of ground since I gave the first report on this on Friday of last week, I've actually called good, good to soft places. Although you could walk it and justifiably call it the other way. On, on every time, you know, we've sort of walked it today, you could sort of say, well, this is kind of 50-50 really. But at the back of my mind, I've always had the thought that this week was going to be a dry week. And, you know, I don't perhaps want to just, I just want to sort of perhaps temper expectations a little bit in terms of, of ground conditions because I don't think we're going to sort of race away in drying terms but in answer to your question I still sort of sit here in the early part of the week thinking the steeplechase course really ought to still be on the slower side of good uh, sort of going into Friday. Okay and uh, how much watering have you done or will you do? We, we did nothing until yesterday afternoon having having we wanted to sit tight and see what Sunday delivered uh, and plenty of forecasts had Sunday as a sort of double figure, sort of millimetre volume of, of rain. That didn't really happen for us. It all sort of, the bulk of it stayed to the east uh, of, of Isha, um, although we saw some. Uh, we, I mean, in terms of, I think the extent of the track that you'd even sort of consider watering at the moment, and as I say, we started on this yesterday afternoon and we'll do a bit more today, is really the latter half of the back straight. Anyone who's walked Sandown will know that that sort of stretch from the water jump probably to the last railway fence, uh, but certainly from the water jump to the first railway fence is invariably quicker ground here. It's to do with the nature of the soil. It's a part of the track that basically sits on sand. And at almost any time of the year, even the depths of winter, in jumping terms, that ground is rarely slower than good, rarely slower than good. And you could be sort of soft ground everywhere else, you know. So it is a piece, of, it is a stretch of ground that historically you just have to sort of keep an eye on and sand down. So you ask about volume. I mean, I, funnily enough, it's a sort of, sort of bit of ground you could almost stick five to ten millimetres on every day and it kind of stands still. That's our historic experience of that ground. We started off by putting about ten. We've put about ten millimetres on that. I think I'll leave the pipes down so we can just sort of keep it in place and just monitor it through the through, through this sort of middle part of the week. And Andrew, we've, we've discussed this quite a bit uh, on the podcast lately, as, as you'll have heard. Uh, is there a case for 
more gentle watering to maintain all the way through the summer season on jumps courses that are not used for flat racing so i.e the steeplechase courses at a lot of these tracks i, th- I think it, it i think it's admirable and, and probably right in principle nick um I, I i do think that you know a factor people have just got to take account of is particularly when you get a summer like this one we've just had but actually keeping you know your flat course going and keeping it somewhere at or near good to firm as we're tasked to do as we kind of quite rightly do do that was taking this summer in my experience that was almost taking seven day a week watering flat out watering so when you when you get a year like this one we would have liked to have done some more watering on the steeplechase course certainly through the late summer early autumn than we were probably able to do because you know you were still having to keep sort of going on the on the flat track now most years there's there's some volume of rain during the summer you you know you can turn your attention and we did you know at sandown we got a couple of spins into the steeplechase course but in an ideal world at the back of our mind all along you you'd rather have done just a little bit more be, you know we it wasn't a question of sitting there watching the track sort of burn off because that's what we thought is the you know that's almost the right thing to do there was a time sort of in september you know in terms of the jump trail jump track here you think geez are we ever you know or the steeplechase you know is it going to come back now in grass terms it's come back really well it's it's actually in very good nick in grass terms which is possibly is possibly tied into letting the roots you know sort of fight for it a little bit more but there is we have been battling as a result this sort of water deficit i think in the in in the profile of the soil since you know ever since and and it's it's only just beginning to sort of get there now uh, andrew cooper there and before that harry cobden i'll start with andrew cooper uh, lydia that it's kind of interesting they, they if if we get big droughts again clearly these race courses are at absolutely max capacity a point that you raised a couple of times with me last week Yes, and it was uh, uh, Andrew Cooper kind of came on to Road to Cheltenham last Thursday and discussed that as well. All hands to the deck, it has clearly been at Sandown over the summer, and there seems to be no way to get around that capacity in terms of manpower or mechanism. It's purely the amount of water they can physically get on the course during the, the, the time that they have during the course of a day. Um, it will be interesting to see whether there are, if we have, um, droughts again and uh, as Andrew made the point you know t- two years ago there was a very wet summer so it isn't necessarily that you're going to have um, a drought impact but race courses uh, experiencing this impact on their business and on the sport in the early parts or in the, just when jump season should be taking off um, they are going to need to address whether there are things that they uh, could be doing over the summer that they are currently not doing. I accept that what Andrew was talking about, it sounds as though there was no other option, that had he wanted to do more, he just couldn't. Uh, I My gut feeling is that Shishkin will run, listening to Nicky Henderson last weekend. I, uh, Alan King's obviously worried about Edward Stone if there's anything quick in the, in the ground, but provided provided they all show up i'm very struck by harry cobden's confidence in grenatine and and it echoes something that you talked to me about on this podcast about about three weeks ago yeah i think i i think this horse has has, has taken another step forward i mean we have to bear in mind that he is only eight rising nine 
Um, and I thought that the dominance that he showed at Exeter was a very different performance to the one just 12 months earlier where he hit the front and faded out of things. Now, I accept that he will probably have been fitter this time around for that seasonal debut, but I also think he's probably better. I think he's gone slightly under the radar because the in terms of what was achieved last season, Shishkin's win in the Clarence House and Energumen's win, uh, both at Cheltenham and at Punchestown, uh, were so brilliant that any sort of small improvement from Gredetin probably goes under the radar. But, I mean, he, he is a very good horse nonetheless um, uh, he's got talents to find with Shishkin on the desert desert orchid so clearly that's quite a bit but I think he has taken a step forward and crucially he would be meeting Shishkin if they were to meet at Sandown on Saturday Shishkin coming back a low, off a low point having had that bone condition uncovered following him being pulled up early on in the Queen Mother Champion chase and he would be making his seasonal debut whereas Gwenatine is at, his, at Sandown where he's delivered his best performances in the past I don't just think he's a Sandan horse. I agree with Harry about that. Um, but also, crucially, he is further into his season. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a, a big Grenatine fan, um, albeit I admit that uh, Shishkin does set, if Shishkin comes there at the top of his game, then he sets a, a very big standard to try and bridge. So I got a phone call yesterday um, around about lunchtime and I, I rang back and it was uh, owner and syndicate manager Henry Kimball, who's been on the show before. You'll have heard about his extraordinary charitable in- endeavours, his own uh, amazing, um, amazingly courageous battles with, with ill health, uh, raised a, a ton of money uh, along the way and absolutely loves the game. And he said, I want to talk to you about my horse that's running in the Beecher Chase on Saturday at Aintree, horse called Fagan, who you'll know quite well, have been around the block a bit now with Alex Hales, ex-Gordon Elliott horse. And I'm looking at this horse now, Henry, and I'm thinking... Right, come on. What what's up here? What 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 do you need to tell me? Because I can't see it myself. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on, Nick. Um, so, uh, look, Fagan. Uh, to give you a bit of a backstory, I mean, Fagan um, is uh, connected to an umbrella of syndicates that I run for Stowe School. Uh, it's my old school. Um, we've had a lot of old Stoics who've gone on to work in racing. A good twenty to twenty-five people, and uh, this is the third syndicate I've run for the school uh, in celebration of their centenary coming up next year. And uh, Fagan is no back number. Um, he's part of the Stowe One Hundred Club that I've set up. Uh, we've got three horses in training. He's the first one, as you said, with Alex Hales, and um, we're quietly confident that he can give us a good run. Uh, as you say, he, he was ex-Gordon Elliot. He was second in the Albert Bartlett. Um, a few years back he has won for Alex um, at Newbury and uh, he was second in a good veterans race last year he runs well fresh Uh, we we were hoping to run him at Sandown a few weeks ago but that was abandoned so we've decided to take aim and go for the beach uh, against the big boys on Saturday but um Look, his handicap's come down a bit. Um, he's in good form. He scored over the national fences in Lambourne last week. And uh, we're just really excited for the run. And I think he could outrun his odds. I really do. And it would be a wonderful story for the whole Stowe 100 syndicate. Um, it would be only Alex's second runner uh, over the national fences. And for a lot of our owners who are all connected to the school in some way, pupils, parents or staff, to have a first runner at Aintree over the national fences on ITV uh, is pretty special uh, it would be quite a training performance as well hasn't run for well the, the the guts of a year really um this horse so it would be it would be a feather in alex hale's cap for sure um i haven't caught up with you for a little while henry how are you doing 
I'm doing very well, thank you. Uh, I'm busy, um, keeping well. Health is very good. Uh, you've been very supportive of uh, of that on, on, on many fronts, and um, yeah, I'm trying to sort of put that behind me really, and just push on with um, with doing lots of different things. Um, obviously, the syndicates that I run provide a, a great distraction uh, for that, and um, as I say, my work in that sphere has been has been gathering pace. Uh, I'm also running my own business now, which um, called Galloping to Give, which uh, works within racing doing uh bespoke uh, horse racing tours for businesses and charities to learn more about the sport so i'm keeping as busy as i can and uh you know, making the most of things whilst well health is uh, is good and uh not um not getting in the way too much and uh, obviously as, as the pandemic hopefully eases and people can get back to a sense of of more normal life um i'm grabbing that with both hands and obviously fagan running on saturday is a is a huge part of that that was Henry Kimmel. Good luck to him and to his uh, fellow Stoics with Fagan at the weekend in the Beach of Chase. 40 to 1, if you're interested. That was about the price that a horse called I Doubt That opened up uh, at um, Kempton Park last May, the 18th, before going off the 11 to 4 favourite and giving trainer Jimmy Fox his first winner in an eternity. You'll remember, well, you might remember the next day, if you go back and listen to it, episode 487, Out Fox, The Anatomy of a Gamble. Was this was the title of this podcast? Um, where I'm not sure whether we we celebrated, joined in the celebrations in this extraordinary extraordinary punt from a horse that had come over from Ireland. Anyway, Lydia, um, it's gone sour. This hasn't it? Uh, just explain why. It has. The disciplinary panel have got involved. I doubt it has been disqualified and the prize money is redistributed and Jimmy Fox has been fined £250. That's after concerns were raised about the ownership of the horse. Chairman Brian Barker, who sat uh, for this fast track case, noted that uh, Jimmy Fox had entered the horse as being owned by his wife and confirmed in interview, that's with the BHA, that the paperwork had been submitted confirming she was the owner. He had stated the horse had come over from Ireland and he thought it would not be have been possible for the ownership registration to have been completed by the Irish owner in time for the horse to run. Mr Fox accepted that the horse had not been sold or leased to his wife and that the true owner of the horse was Ms Ashley Rogers. The chairman further noted that the ownership issue had since been rectified and the horse's owner is now listed as Ms Rogers. In- do you th- do you think you would number um, the integrity department of the BHA as one of your regular listeners, Nick? Uh, I don't know, but in the interview he did refer to the lads. But you see, his did you say Ms. Ashley Rogers? I did say Ms. Yep. Clearly, Ms. Ashley Rogers is one of the lads. <laughs> I mean, is is that lads in, lads in a non gender specific uh, way, which would really <laughs> really annoy people who 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 want who dislike that kind of gender usage? All right, you're frying my brain now with this. I I I don't. I th- in answer to your original question, I suspect quite possibly is the answer. <laughs> oh dear. Uh, Yes, well, I mean, it, it 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 has always struck me that one needs to be very careful what one says in this uh, environment. Lest anybody of a very serious mind thinks that we're making light of this, I it, the reason it surprised me was because I've never seen one like this before. I've never seen a horse disqualified over a, 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 a an incorrect registration of ownership before. I I sent it to you. You're like oh, new one on me. Now I rang the BHA's regulatory boss, Brandon Shea, this morning, and he initially thought that he couldn't remember one either but he went through the files and there is actually one um october 2019 
Dennis Quinn uh, was the case in question. A horse called Kazwara who was uh, disqualified and the placings were, were amended. So there you go. That did happen a, a few years ago. But I'd imagine this will act as a bit of a warning shot, Lydia, for those who think, well, either they don't have the time or the inclination to get the paperwork in order. Well, in general, it suggests that there was... Uh, some sort of investigation into what happened, the circumstances of Ida, that uh, he opened at 33 to 1 the previous day, still available at double figures in the morning and went off at 11 to 4. So it really was quite a gamble, hence the fact that you interviewed Jimmy um, on this podcast. And that has, it would appear, you would infer, has triggered an investigation into the circumstances around that. And this is something, presumably, that has come out of it. So... Um, yeah, absolutely. It 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 does suggest that uh, proper in- investigations were carried out. Yeah, and funnily enough, Lydia, it 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 sort of echoes something we were talking about last week, about a different point where you know with a disqualification issue with the whip, where you could land a massive gamble and you'd still have the money, and it didn't really matter whether you were disqualified or not. In this case, again, it's not not going they're not going to be giving the money back. They exactly. landed a touch. Exactly. I mean that 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 is is clearly clearly obvious, isn't it? The, the the key point about that that day was the fact that the horse was was so well backed, and uh, these kind of retrospective uh, investigations, you know, whilst welcome, um, are are not getting at, at the never that the gamble has been landed. And I I felt exactly the same as I read this notice. It made me think about um, the the new whip rules that will be coming in and how the the glaring loophole in all, all of that and. So Certainly, um, from a principal point of view as well, it is that if you egregiously breach the uh, the limits on the number of times that the whip can be used, thereby triggering a disqualification, but that disqualification does not apply in terms of betting, well, then there, there remains a loophole um, for or the potential for um, those kind of uh, rules to be broken in the attempt of landing a gamble. And then, you know, the, the the rules don't reach in the same kind of way. So that is that is something that is going to have to be managed. It's not it, it, it's not it's not satisfactory uh, because it, it suggests that um, I suppose it suggests that uh, horses that are used as a means to land a gamble um, you know, cannot be protected via this rule. And that that is surely a problem. Today is Tuesday, which means it's the day we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's, their excellent stallion book, and of course, their online global stallion app. And if you were with me on my Sunday program on Racing TV a couple of weeks ago, you'll have seen me interviewing Keir Jarabchin, the supremo of ammo racing, whose purple and white silks are now a familiar sight across race courses worldwide and has had significant success, particularly in 2022, with the very good two-year-old Persian force who kicked off his campaign by winning the Brocklesby and rounded it off with a fine effort in defeat in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint with lots of pattern race success and good placed efforts in Group 1 company along the way. So he's retiring as a two-year-old to stud. But we've got a few further developments to fill you in on. And joining me to discuss Persian Force and how you market a horse like this is Ammo Racing's Racing and Bloodstock Manager, Tom Pennington, who's himself had significant experience in the industry latterly uh, as, with his role at, at Shadwell. Tom, um, how, how marketable do you think Persian Force is going to be and why? Uh, morning, Nick. Thanks for having me on. Um, 
Look, I think he's, he's very marketable. Um, we felt he danced every dance at two. He was Richard Hannon's first turf runner in March when he won the Brocklesby Stakes um, by a huge margin and was his last of running the great credit, as you say, at the Breeders' Cup in November. And in between, he proved himself to be one of Europe's best and, and I'd say most consistent two-year-olds. As you say, he placed multiple times at the highest level. Um, but he got that lucrative uh, group success when he ran out a super impressive win of the July stakes at Newmarket and for me I know it's a cliche and everyone uses it but his biggest asset was and is his, his bomb proof mind and constitution um, and we can't wait to kick on and breed some horses in, in a similar image and, and as it happens I think one of the biggest things and I don't know it's been luck or fate there also looks to be a huge gap in the market for real commercial speed stallions retiring to Sturden Island for next year. I don't know why that is, but there seems to be a shortage of them. Um, so we thought it was the right thing to do. That people will be very surprised. A lazy look at the bloodstock industry. People will say, well, isn't this what people are doing all the time, just retiring precocious speed and flooding the market with them? And you, you're, you've got quite a different take on that. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, as, as I said, I think there is a... <laughs> He's done all he has to do. He's proved his consistency. He's tough. He's genuine. He's hard knocking. Um, and I said, I think there is a real gap in the market there. You only have to look. There's not a lot in, in that sort of price bracket. Um, he can end off top of your head. Darley have got um, the Dubai horse who won at Royal Ascot. Um, and then there's obviously Minzal, who's another son of Memas. But there's, there's, there's not a lot else there. So we think he's got everything they ticks all the right boxes again to use a cliche to really be competitive in the marketplace then and um you know we're discussing it and we'll announce it in the coming days but we'll price them accordingly to, to be very competitive and you have had experience as a, as a bloodstock journalist you, you worked on the racing post you you spend a lot of time at shadwell one of the sort of modern bastions of, of middle distance breeding if you like um do you do you accept the idea of a, of a two-year-old retiring to stud uh, that, that it can be in any way beneficial to the breed i think of course you only have to look at in, in recent in recent years what sam sally have done with a horse like memas and um the impact he's had on the industry they've, they've obviously trained on it three as well um and whether you like it or not the, the demand at the sales is, is for this still this precocious two-year-old type um, you know, it's a it's a big talking point with the industry. These the middle distance horses are the majority. If they reach a certain level, are sold abroad, which is is a big issue. Um, so yeah, I think we've we've all leaned that way. Even even in the days of Shadwell, you know, retiring the sprinters like Tasley, Ectodar, but there's a huge gap in the market there, and it's it's what a lot of the breeders now want. I remember doing a survey when I was at Shadwell and nearly 90% of breeders would now class themselves as commercial rather than owner breeders. And that, that's just the state of the marketplace at the moment. So you partner up with Tally Ho, who've got a proven track record in this in this department, but Ammo Racing still got a, a very significant ownership interest in the horse. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. We, we'd um, yeah, still own a, a significant um, part of the horse. Um, and the reason for using Tally Ho is, is pretty straightforward. The team there are phenomenal. They've got a proven track record of making stallions. I've touched on Memas. And obviously, they breed some of the best horses in Europe. Um, we sat down and discussed it. And Kia wants to give Persian Force the best possible opportunity of becoming a successful stallion. And, and Roger and the team there are, are the same mindset. We've seen what they've done and have the infrastructure in place for us to best try and achieve that. Um, they've got, a, I'm trying to think off the top of my head now, but they've got a great track record of launching new stallions. You think Persian Force is Memas. 
Cotto Glory, Society Rock, obviously Red Clubs was there, and, and then not to mention Kodiak, who um, is obviously one of Europe's leading two-year-old stallions. And uh, is this a, a new avenue for, for ammo racing as well? Uh, this may have happened not by accident necessarily, but you may not have been intending to, to be heavily involved in standing a stallion, but is, is this likely to presage a, a greater involvement in the stallion business, do you think, on, on Kia's part? I think so. As he said to you on, on, on your show, you know, he's, he's owned horses for the best part of 20 years, but it's only been the last couple of years that the level of investment has become really significant. Um, and I think he has shown by his investment in the sales and in Bloodstock, his commitment to the industry and building a substantial brand within Ammo. The investment in racing has been phenomenal, and the next stage is to try and build um, a, a Bloodstock portfolio and, and produce a stallion. And as you know, if you can land on a good stallion, that income can go a long way to subsidising other interests. You only need to look at Judmont with the likes of uh, Frank or Kingman. The, the, the turnover they generate allows them to go and invest in some of the best bloodstock around the world. And the idea of a, a new stallion son standing alongside his father at a stallion station, do you think that confers an advantage on him and he is likely to therefore be the beneficiary of, sort of overspill is the wrong word, but mares that otherwise might have gone to Mermas, Mermas might be full, he'll be able to be the beneficiary. Do you think it's a, a complementary situation rather than a conflicting one? Definitely. And Roger Roger knows all about Memas. He knows all about Persian Force. He's got um, an outstanding client base who trust him and they've seen what he's done with all those stallions. I think we can only take positives out of that move. Well, thanks to Tom. And, and staying with the Bloodstock theme, I'm joined now by Jimmy George, Marketing Director for Tattersalls. Uh, Scepter Sessions began yesterday, the Tattersalls Breeding Stock Sale. Uh, I, I joked with you, Jimmy, that these were a few flares going up before the proper fireworks of today. But um, there was a Catherine wheel or two yesterday, for sure. Yeah, there were, Nick. Look, eagerly anticipated the inaugural Scepter Sessions. And I uh, have to say, they got off to a... a magnificent start so thrilled to be thrilled for everybody who supported the the concept of the scepter sessions which is really just to showcase the elite fillies and mares in in the tattersall's december mare sale which is itself a showcase sale it's europe's premier breeding stock sale and this was designed to uh, promote and enhance the, the the very best fillies and mares on offer so no it made a spectacular start and we're um we're, we're thrilled to bits with the way it went yeah, let's just look at it in the round first before we dive into the specifics. We always want to know what sort of people are spending the money, who's doing well, where's the trade, and where are, they, where are most of the, the good stock likely to land up following this, this sale? I think one of the very encouraging things about yesterday's trade was, whilst it's incredibly international, the domestic British and Irish breeders were very, very strong. Uh, they really were, you know, they, they dominated the the upper reaches of yesterday's trade. And uh, that, that in itself is encouraging to see the, the appetite um, within, you know, the domestic market, the confidence. Effectively, it displays confidence in the domestic market going forward after, you know, the Talisman's October yearling sales were, were unbelievably strong this year. The horses in training sale, the autumn horses in training sale at Tats, again, record-breaking sales. And, uh, yeah, this it follows in that in in that vein and um you know that confidence is is i think very welcome for all concerned you know it's, it's there's a 
in, in, in the wider world, there is uncertainty. There's no denying that. But to see the appetite for quality bloodstock um, is, is encouraging for all concerned. So which individual mares really shone last night and really exceeded expectations? Well, the, the, the top three lots who, who all made 750,000 guineas or more. So the top lot was um, a mare called Archangel Gabriel, who's a, a smacking young mare. She's only nine years old. She's the dam of Sir Michael Stout's very smart uh, Group 3 winning filly, Ville de Grasse. Um, and um, she, yeah, look, she was a beautiful mare. She's high arch, so it's from a from the, the, the much revered Roberto line that we don't have a lot of uh, certainly in Europe these days so she was very coveted she was in Fold of St Mark's Basilica great family and she's a proven mare and uh, so she made 800,000 guineas then uh, I think um, very it, it was great to see the second top lot was a was a wonderful mare called Crystal Zvezda Zvezda yes I'm not, never sure I pronounced that correctly but anyway she's a she's another uh, states winning Dubawi mayor from one of the very finest of Sibylind de Rothschild's family so she's a she's a listed winning half to the Crystal Ocean she deserved to make very good money she's the dam of a very good three year old called Crystal Caprice um, who Sir Michael trains and uh, she made 775,000 guineas and then again a lovely a lovely young mayor called Inevera um, who's the dam of Ottoman Fleet who looks like a He's three now, but looks like a horse with a big future for Charlie Appleby next year. Um, you know, he's rated 115. That's her first foal. She made 750,000 guineas, knocked down to Jill Lamb, I think, on behalf of Newsels Park. So, again, we'll be staying mm-hmm. in Britain, which is fantastic. That's very encouraging. Now, we need to just alert everybody to what's happening today. Uh, today is yeah. Tuesday. Tune in, Sales Day Live on tattersalls.com. You don't want to miss this. If you if you get great pleasure in watching other people spend lots of money for four o'clock till seven o'clock, or indeed if you want to spend some of your own or other people's money, you can log on and do so. Yeah, exactly. But also, it's it's not just seeing people spending money. It's you'll, you'll be watching some absolutely outstanding race fillies and broodmares. Uh, live going through the Tavisal sale ring you know this is one for the ages we've got six group one winning fillies going through the ring today and the dam of this year's derby winner uh, Desert Berry the dam of Desert Crown an unbeaten derby winner truly a very special horse um, this is so it's it's yeah it, it really is one for the ages these are these are fillies and mares of the very very highest caliber um, alcohol free lot 1904 Saffron Beach 1878 going in no particular order Pearls Galore La Petite Coco, Princess Zoe and the Platinum Queen. You know, there really is, it's an amazing array of talent from Group 1 winning two-year-olds to, to um, you know, outstanding race mare like um, uh, um, Princess Zoe, a great stayer. But, you know, arguably, um, you know, alcohol-free, four Group 1 wins. In, in her life, two of them beating the boys in the July Cup and the uh, and the Sussex. You know, it really is an extraordinary array of talent, and uh, you know, it's you know you can't single any out. You know, in, in any normal year, each one of these would be the highlight, and we've got six of them. You know, Saffron Beach, who, who could I, I think it's worth mentioning, she could go on yeah. and run in the Hong Kong international races. Jimmy, I'm grateful to you for. Um, 
adding a, a purist's touch to my rather vulgar interpretation of today's events. Um, and, uh, and I, for one, will be tuning in. Thank you very much. You're very kind, Nick, and I hope you enjoy watching it all unfold. Okay, thanks to Jimmy, to all my guests today. Lydia's still with me. Lydia, before I get your tip for today, I, I'm very sad to read that Chris Wall, a very good trainer um, of a whole variety of horses down the years, is is uh, stopping training because he says the numbers don't really add up anymore. Um, I was sad to read that. He's a good operator and has been for ages. Very much so. I was really sad to read it, and I think it, really should cause some reflection within the um corridors of power in terms of uh the the ever increasing collection into uh, into a smaller number of hands the um best better horses in britain you know the relentless um rise of the super trader the turning of smaller or medium now even medium scale operations into pre-training yards for these uh, super trainers and whether something it does need to be done. I'm, I'm appreciating there is the restraint of trade issues and all of those kind of things. However, a sport is a sport and to some degree can it set its own rules. I think this should be of concern if somebody as successful as Chris Wall, who has um, a career that spans 30, 36 years, has the capacity to train 60 horses and could only fill half the boxes this season and uh, about half as, as many again for next season and hence the fact he has stopped. It is an, in a massive, massive concern for the sport. And on a on a, a personal note, absolutely, it's a great shame that that Chris won't be um, training, won't be in the winners' enclosure as a trainer. He 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 has talked about wanting to give something back to the sport, which is great great to hear, and to talk about keeping his hand in maybe on the administration side. So it's great to hear that he won't be disappearing. But it's it's very very sad indeed. And uh, it sh as I say, this this should really be. I mean, we've gone past the yellow at the amber warning signs we're now into the red flashing light now can you give me a tip for this afternoon i can whether it's going to win is another thing uh captain quint uh in the 140 at air trained by rose dobbin uh ridden by craig nickel uh, made a, a really nice start to his chasing career at hexham at the start of november didn't get any further than the um than the first fence when he unseated craig and sprawled on landing at the end uh, just a, a few days ago um i it looks like it's quite a competitive little race even though they're only at the time of recording five runners um the, Ollie Murphy has got Dr. Ken. Stuart Crawford has got Gold Cup Bailey. But I quite like that debut from Captain Quint. So it's him. Captain Quint in the 140th air today. Lydia, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Tuesday, November the 29th. See you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.